Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to know more of you. Father, it is your desire to not withhold secrets. It's your desire to open our eyes. It is your desire to bring light to us. That, Father, I just pray right now, any place that we feel dark in, every, any place that we feel lost in today, I pray, Father, that your presence and your power and your strength through Jesus Christ would be revealed by your Holy Spirit and begin opening our eyes even this morning that a new sense of hope emerges, a new sense of a positive imagination of how we view things would begin taking place in our lives. Father, we are just so grateful to you and we just thank you that we, you have chosen us to become your children and we just want to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I thought we would talk about prostitutes. Well, actually not, but, well, yes, we are, but not in light of what you just were thinking. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 and verse 20, it says this, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I love that. It is God's desire to give you insight to himself. He wants you to know him. So when God says, I want you to know him, sometimes that seems like this endless journey of always like we're pursuing God and he's on a distant chase and just keeping just somewhat elusive that we never quite get to the place where we get to know who he is. But that is not God's desire. He actually is trying to get your eyes to be open to see who he really is. The Father desires for you to know him and understand him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Let me just tell you, just give you a little brief of what hope is. Hope is not just an expectation of something like, maybe if I get the right numbers, I'll win a lottery. Maybe tonight at Lake Mille Lacs, the right number is going to pick up when I drop the slot. See, those aren't hope. Those are just kind of like this random luck that maybe something would fall on me. But that's not hope. Hope is, some, is a Im, new image that bursts on the inside of you, a, a new idea that the, there's confidence to it. Let me give you an example. I, was, I remember being in algebra class um, in college at ASU, and as it, I don't know about you, but I like math, but just algebra sitting looking at paper with parentheses and brackets, and you're looking at... Trying to put that into some kind of concept where we can use that is really a mental challenge, right? And, and you can learn the tools and you can learn the facts, but the understanding of what this actually does was very elusive to me. And I was really frustrated, and I was getting a C in algebra class, and I remember I started the computer programming class at the same time. So I was in the lab, and they gave us our software assignment that we were supposed to build, and my lightning-quick mind realized there's algebra in this. But it started making sense. This does this, then this happens, and this happens, and then this happens, and this. And all of a sudden, my understanding of algebra made sense that when I went back to class, everything changed. See, something happens when your mind opens up to understand. It brings hope. It, br- it doesn't necessarily make it easier, but it brought hope and understanding that now I could walk through that whole process and the dynamics change. That's what hope does. It removes that mental block where all of a sudden now God becomes enlarged or the idea that you've been processing becomes a positive expectation. Hope. 
that your eyes of understanding would be enlightened, you know the hope of his calling. What are the riches? And just so you know, his callings, you know, a lot of times even when we think of, uh, I remember growing up and the missionaries would come and talk about missions and I, I, I just didn't want to be a missionary because who would want to go experience the horrific events the missionaries would begin evangelistically explaining when they came? Well, because they weren't lying. They just were trying to express the things that would grab our attention. But when that's all you're hearing, all you're thinking of is the bugs, the weather, the, 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 all the stuff that goes on with that. And it starts beginning, almost creating a fear, yet an excitement, right? Because we like certain shows like that, that create the fear, but the excitement. And we, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, why am I watching this? And nine episodes later into the series, you find yourself in it, but you don't really, you're like, oh, who would ever want to do something like that? There's something about that that draws us, but God is something better. And so, I remember that, and I remember when I finally, we, we went to Africa, and things just began peeling back going, yeah, I guess you could find that stuff, but it wasn't that experience. It was hopeful. It was life-giving. It was positive. And so all of a sudden, when your perspective begins to change, it's hard for me to, I mean, I can express to you some of the trauma these kids go through, but you know, there's just a lot of hope. I would rather create something that makes you want to connect in your life, not just want to connect in your fearful engagement in a conversation. Anyway, that's a side note. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What he sees in you, what he values in you, what he has for you. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of the mighty power which raised Christ from the dead? This seems like God isn't hiding anything from us. He is eager to express the whole view of what he thinks of you and what he wants to put on the inside of you. That's the God that we serve. But sometimes he just becomes elusive. Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says this, Now faith, and this isn't a, we're not going to be talking about faith this morning. I want you just to let hope start to rise. Faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. See, hope is an imagination. How many, when I say the word balloon, did a picture of a balloon cross in your mind or did the characters B-A-L-L-B-A-L-O-O-N come into your head? An image came into your head. See, we imagine things. Words are just descriptions of what we're actually imagining, what we're seeing. And when, our, when, when disappointment comes and discouragement comes or wrong information comes, it creates an image on the inside of us that causes us to set back. Or if good news comes that excites us, it creates us to move forward. But we're being moved back and forth by an imagination, not even anything real yet, just an imagination. And then our beliefs put action and life into that imagination. And we start acting out what we're seeing in that imagination. Okay? That's very simple, and we don't have time to spend on that. I just need to lay that, fr- that framework in order for us to go forward. So it's the substance of these things that we're imagining, these ex- positive expectations that we're imagining for the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we understand. By faith, we understand. Hebrews 11.6 says this, But without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. So here's how we please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That he is what? All-powerful, the creator, merciful, kind. All those things that inhabit the greatness of God, when we come, we believe that he is those things. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Or let me put it this way. He is a rewarder of those who have an eager persuasion to be in a focused pursuit of him. They're eager. Like all of a sudden this expectation, I've got to know more about this God. And all of a sudden as you're pursuing, these other things start coming about. Because he's a rewarder. He loves that. He loves to give. So as I was praying, this is where we're going to get into the title of The Way of the Father and Hope, is Hebrews gave a list of all these people of faith. And there's all sorts of characters that are listed in this book. In fact, many of these characters may not be the ones you would want speaking on a Sunday morning. But they're recorded in history as people who lived and pleased God by faith, because they believed in a different hope. And so we're going to look at the first one, Hebrews 11.31, and it begins with this woman of reputation. There's reputations people have, right? And some people like their reputation, other people don't like their reputation, some people are trying to figure out how to get rid of the reputation, some people are trying to get a reputation. But there's a reputation about this particular woman. In fact, Hebrews, after all these years, still refer to her based on her previous reputation in order for you to have benefit for a new reputation. And it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. She made a decision on something she believed and it caused something to happen. So we're going to look at that this morning because I want you to see a picture of God. We're going to turn to Joshua chapter 2, and uh, starting with the, the chapter, we're going to go through the whole chapter, but we're not going to read the whole chapter. Um, I'll let you read it, but it's in chap, uh, Joshua chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now the children, who just set the background, the children of Israel finally have gone through a generation that chose to believe to go into the promised land based on the promise of God, Okay. They finally have a generation that's willing to go in, and Joshua is setting the stage to go take what's been promised, their inheritance. See, the spies in this generation are now convinced in their heart about the greatness of their God, and they are expecting to now seize what's been promised for 40 years prior. They're waiting for this. They're eager for it. And now they're going in confidence, not in intrepidation, not in fear, not in a Maybe this might work. They are expecting Joshua to lead them into victory into this land and take their inheritance. Now, the people of the land, it could appear very unjust that all of a sudden God's having one people have probably been living there for 600 years, and it's just calling the rent due and say, we're not renewing the lease, and you're gone. And sometimes God gets this name, well, how could God do that? Well, let's just begin. It was his to begin with, number one. Number two, he told the people in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, I'm not giving you the promised land because of your righteousness. I'm giving you the promised land 
because, and I'm taking it away from them because of their unrighteousness. In other words, they just chose not to believe. But I want you to see the mercy of God in this story. So in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, these spies go out into the land now. They're ready to take it, and the spies go out. And it says that they went out secretly to go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went out and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now, I have been pondering this story for several weeks. Why did they pick her house? I mean, how did they know they were going to be safe? I mean, what, how are they going to trust some woman that whole, her whole life is always telling a story? She knows everybody in town. Why would they trust her? They go in. And it was told when they went into the house and they lodged there. And I just want you to remember that part of the story. We're going to come back to it. But something happened in this woman when these two men came to that house. They came in the confidence, representing the God of Israel, the great God that parted the Red Sea, that parted the Jordan, that destroyed kings, that conquered lands, that delivered people out of Egypt. They were coming in the name of that God. And these two men walk into the house, and something happens to the woman. This woman met two men for the first time that didn't want something that would cheapen, demean, and diminish her dignity. They actually came and lodged, and I think to her dismay, didn't want something from her except a place to sleep. And all of a sudden, she felt something different. Because it's going to tie to something she believes. See, when you believe something, and you're starting to put your faith in something, God has a way of bringing His grace into your place that raises your dignity level up. These two men sit in this house Verse 2, it says, he was told that the king of Jericho came. So the king of that city came and said, where are the two spies? We know they came to your house. See, this is when your beliefs begin to be altered by another belief. Under that city, they've been taught they have to obey the king, right? If you don't obey the king, what happens to you? They're unrighteous people. They're kind of a heathen, barbarian society. I doubt something good was going to happen. I don't know if they had a full tribunal and, you know, you get your attorney and you kind of work through something. This is just more of the decree of the king. You're dishonoring the king when you're not obeying his messengers. So she had to determine at that moment who was the greater king. She had a decision to make. Because the moment she lied to one king, it was going to cost her. Whichever one it was, it was going to cost her, and she was put into a place. Which message do I believe? Do I believe the message of the spies, or do I believe the message of the king? This was no question in her mind, because of where her heart and her imagination had gone, and she began telling them a story of how they came in, and they left early, and yes, they were here, but now they've gone down the road, so you should hurry to go find them. And so immediately the men went off, and they went down the road to go look, for the spies. When the gates closed, it says that she went up. And it says in verse 17, um, hold on, I just jumped spaces here. Chapter 2. All right, here we go. So chapter 2, in verse 8, he says, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. See, she had hidden them up on the roof. 
So when they heard the men coming from the king, she went and hid them. She already took action based on what she believed. Her beliefs were set in motion the moment she received those spies. She knew what she was going to do. There was no second guessing. There was no him hawing at the door when the evil report came. She just responded. And it says in verse 9, And said to the men, I know, listen to this, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. There's two parts to this. Number one, when you allow the strength and confidence of God and you make decisions based on the trust in a God that is greater than every circumstances and you stand with it, it begins affecting those people around you. They become faint-hearted. And just like the king's response, they were faint-hearted as well. But in order, rather than believing, they were trying to get rid of the spies. They were trying to attack. They were trying to repel. They were trying to respond in a natural way because of their fear. But she wasn't intimidated by their fear. She was intimidated by the God of these two spies. And she said, and she went on to go, in verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Testimonies. Testimonies are important about the greatness of our God. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When you came out of Egypt and when you did, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and who are on the side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon, listen to this, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven and on earth. She heard these stories. She believed these stories. And I am convinced the reason these men found her house is because of her belief. I think the moment we sit in our circumstances, and I could prove it through other scriptures, but the moment we sit and say, God, I believe you're greater than this. And I'm going to choose to believe, even if and nothing changes around us, something begins to work and drawing people and drawing things and drawing resources and moving on your behalf to get an answer to you. She needed grace. And she found two men that would not dishonor her, that would not misuse her, and they walked in the room, and it confirmed the belief in this God. She goes on to say, I beg you. So now she asks something. See, the Bible says faith, how we please God is we believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's not an action of seek, like you're constantly in a seek and you're searching and no one else can talk to you because, hold on, i got to find God. That's not the seeking. It's this persuasion that no matter what information that's counter to him, I believe him. That's the persuasion. That's the seeking that he's referring to. And she asks a question, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a, tro- a token. Spare my father, spare my mother, spare my brothers, spare my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. That's a big thing to ask from a nation that's about ready to destroy you. But faith, and when grace is mixed with your faith, when you understand that 
God just was invited into your house as a messenger. The Word came in and brought peace to your home. And you're offering peace back. There's this confident place of asking. If you have this confidence... Have this confidence in you that if you ask anything according to His will, He hears you. And if we know that He hears us, we know we have the petitions that we desired of Him. There's a confidence that happens when we know who our God is. Your motives are pure. You don't even have to worry, am I asking the right thing? Am I not asking the right thing? Man, I want all of God. So God, I need these things. I'm making my request. He goes on to say, so she's asking these things of Him. And so they tell her, we will do this, and we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made, to us, made us to swear. Now, I want you to catch these. These two spies, on behalf of a nation and God, made an oath to this woman. What power did they have to give an oath to a woman? They're not Joshua. They're not God. They're just spies in the army of Israel. But see, when you go as a messenger of God, you trust and you know your God. You know the spirit of of the leadership. You know where you're going, and I can make decisions knowing what they're going to do because they experienced the mercy of God. They experienced the grace of God, and they knew God's grace was always for this nation. If everyone in that city would have turned and said, we'll serve, God wouldn't have destroyed the city. He just already knew what their hearts were. This wasn't about he wanted to destroy, but he had to get rid of the unrighteousness out of the city because Jesus hadn't come yet. But everyone who would receive and believe, look how quick they were. So the spy says, you bring everyone into the home and everyone in your home will be spared. Put a red string out your window of red that will mark your house and everyone in that house will be spared, but anyone who leaves that house will be destroyed and the blood won't be on our hands. But those that are in the house will be spared. See, God was trying to find a way. He promised the family, but then he said anyone who would be in the house. So she could have compelled anyone to come to the house. Now, I love this because she was probably the shame of her family. She's the outsider. I mean, come on, no one wants to put up the family tree. Oh, yeah, there's Rahab. She's, she's kind of the uncle you have to bring to, to, you know, Christmas dinner, but you're kind of like, man, do we really? You've seen Christmas vacation. <laughs> but this is Rahab. Her heart was for her family. We met a lot of people on the trafficking side that you think they're doing it for all these reasons, but often they're just trying to relieve the shame of not being able to provide for their family, and they're sending it back, and they're accepting one shame over another shame. So she goes. She binds the scarlet in her window. She lets the men go down the house. Now, here's what's amazing. This house, in verse 15, was built on the city wall. You see, when a promise goes out... It protects everything about that promise. Her house was built on the city wall. This poses a problem when they're starting to march around the walls and all the walls come down. How is all her family supposed to be spared? God wasn't looking to destroy. He was looking to save. So then he goes. We see as we go down further that they... um, 
She said in verse 21, according to your words, so be it. See, here's the thing about words and commands and promises. When you have confidence in the person giving the command and you're assured that they are of truth and they have the ability to fulfill the promise, it makes accepting the word easy. When we question the ability and the promise and the integrity of the person speaking the word, we challenge it. Think of words that cause negative feelings that come to your head. Why do they have more power over us than words from the Creator? It's because we've been convinced that these words are integrous. We've been taught and trained and culturized that these words are the ones we follow. See, she knew in her culture if the king sent people into her house and they asked a question, you don't say no to the king. Yet something rose up that changed those dynamics. Something bigger rose up. A different name rose up. And that's why God says, I want you to know who I am. I want you to understand who I am. I don't want to be a mystery to you. I don't want to be hidden from you. I want you to understand because the more you understand the greatness of the Creator and all He did to lower Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ, to go into the place where you're at and far the deeper, all of a sudden we can get a perspective of trust in His Word and it can begin trumping those words that have been spoken over our lives that have kept us capped, kept us stuck, and kept us lost. goes on to say, I love this. In verse 24, Joshua, the spies come back. He says, truly the Lord has delivered the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. This is a little side note, but I just want you to catch this. We think many times we've lost a battle based on the feedback we've received in our situation. But if we could spy out the land, we may find out they're more fearful of what's behind us than we are of what's behind them. When they start responding in anger and panic, they're afraid. When they start locking up the doors and making it difficult for you to interact, they're afraid. That's fear. When you're confident, you don't shut your gates. Jericho shut all their gates. When you're confident, you don't shut your gates. When you're confident, you don't try to attack someone else because you already won. There's a boldness that happens. And when you're bold, you can be compassionate. When you're bold and confident, you can be loving. When you're bold and compassionate, you can even have people say bad things about you. You don't like it, but it's not affecting who you are. But when you're fearful, when you feel under and a slight little car moves just slightly into your lane the wrong way, I've been betrayed, I've been dishonored, and all the disrespect and all, it just starts coming out, right? I mean, even, I, I guess it's a big problem because Minnesota now has a campaign to help all those drivers. So, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> I, I won't go there. Okay, so truly the Lord has delivered the land into our hands. So now, I want you to kind of catch this. So now Israel's going and planning. Now they're plotting. They're getting ready to take the city. And we know the story of Jericho. If you don't, it's going on for the next four chapters. They go and march around the walls, all the walls, and they do this for seven days. And Joshua said, don't even open your mouth. 
which there's a whole story in that, and sometimes you just need to shut the mouth. Just go around and know what's right and just shut the mouth. But they couldn't say anything until Joshua blew the trumpet, and then they would shout, and I love this. I love what he shouted. You see, because we're always thinking God's looking for his wrath. God's, I shouldn't say all of you, but in our general God's looking to bring judgment. God's looking to bring this. No, judgment's out there. Condemnation is out there. It's already, the world's already condemned. That's why Jesus came to uncondemn the world. It's, the world has its own condemnation. Judgment's already out there. So sometimes we get this negative tone of God, and it, it's hard to understand that. Is God good or is God bad? Is God bringing judgment? Is God bringing grace? What's he doing? Well, there is judgment out there. There is curse out there. There, All that's existing. All right? Jesus is trying to bring an answer to free that. But if nothing happens, that's just going to be the outcome of the process. So it's not God all of a sudden picking and choosing, I'm going to get that city. Because if he was really trying to get New Orleans, he really did a bad job. He missed the whole French Quarter. Why of all the destruction in Louisiana, the French Quarter is the thing that's still up and thriving? I mean, is God, does God not do a good job? I mean, you think that's what he would hit, and then the rest would just be the byproduct. I mean, sometimes we, we get lost, and God gets this name, and then we're trying to pray, and we're like, well, maybe God's trying to teach me something. God's always trying to teach you something. He's never going to stop trying to teach you. But I'll tell you right now, I won't give my son over to an abuser to teach him something. That's the ramifications of not teaching. But my son, David even said this, God, I did wrong before you, but do not put me into the hands of man. I'd rather fall into your hands. I trust in your mercy. We, we need to get God, not this angry God. And, and I know most of you don't feel that way and we go around, but sometimes when it, we can't seem to get a resolve to what we're trying to think, maybe God's just trying to... Then ask him, God, what are you trying to teach me? That's the question. And if that is what he's doing, let's get the answer and move on. But if for 10 years you're still waiting for God to expose what he's trying to teach you, we've lost something. That makes God distant. Your heart becomes hardened. And you might start continuing to go through the motions and you'll start teaching people a negative report. And you'll start teaching, well, God doesn't always. Well, God, you know, God, well, well God and, and God, you know, but let's go to church. And family, get happy. We're going. <laughs> right? It strips what we are. That's not how God operated. Look what Rahab found in the midst of a God coming to destroy a nation. Utterly destroy. Nothing could live that came out of Jericho. Nothing. Yet a woman all of a sudden says, I believe in your God, protects the servants, and now her whole family gets saved like that quick? That's what God, that's the heart of God. He's been looking for that. Let me get off that for a moment. Back over to chapter 6. Sometimes you get freebies. And the Lord said, so, okay, so they're marching around. Uh, hold on, I got I to gotta go back to my little notes here. That's what happens with freebies. Joshua chapter 7. All right, all right, all right. Uh, 6, verse 16, all right. 6, 16. All right, we're going to get there. 
So this is why we need bobs. They keep you in line. But I'd rather be stuck with the bob than some other people. Man. When the seventh time it happened, they went around the wall, the priests blew their trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout to the Lord for he's given you this city. And the next word out of this mouth, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. That's that prophecy. It's going to be destroyed. And all who are in it, only Rahab, the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she bid the messengers that were sent. She hid them. Not bid, that was my underline. She hid the messengers that were sent. So he declares this doomsday over a city, and the people start shouting, but in that sense, but not Rahab. Not Rahab and not anyone that's in that, that house. And the wall came down, but not Rahab's wall. Not the part of the wall that Rahab had her house. Isn't that amazing? The walls come down, but not Rahab's wall because that's where her house was. I love that. I mean, his, see, once God's promise and grace goes out, we think it's just relieving of a moment. He has a much bigger plan to this journey. Once we unleash a belief in the greatness of God, he takes so much opportunity. You give the guy an inch, and he just takes a whole mile. He, just, he takes every bit of opportunity he can from that moment. Look what he opened up. It says in verse 7, Rahab, so, so everything, the wall fell flat, she was spared, her family was spared. In verse 22 it says, but Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there being out, bring out that woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab. See, the spy's word became Joshua's word. See, once we act towards other people in faith towards God, I mean, it's just like healing. I, we, we don't, there's people with gifts of healing, and then there's just us agreeing with what God already said, and we kind of stand in faith. But God honors our word. It's like the spy said it, so now Joshua is saying it. Yep, that's what we're going to do. It was, it was an agreement that was done. So Joshua spared So in verse 23, and the young men who had been spies went in and brought Rahab, her father, all of them. And it says this, so they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the city, verse 25, and Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua. She had no idea her life was going to become one of fruitfulness. No longer. We call her the harlot to identify her. But no longer was she a harlot. How do I know that? Well, let's find out. How do I know she's not a harlot? How do I know that her reputation had changed? How do I know that her family looked at her differently? You see, when we step out and believe something, even when our family just can't fathom it, and we're like, man, this is going to cause such a separation... Trust the greatness of God. Because in the end, the family will have more benefit. You're not deserting something to go follow God even though it goes against the grain of your family. 
what it does is it opens up God to begin doing something bigger in the family. Amen. So we can see this. You know, many, many times we, we look at stories like this and we, we kind of look at it grazing over, but if you really start seeing what's happening inside this woman, that it wasn't just relief from a problem that she got. It wasn't just um, th- this idea that, oh, I just want to be spared. There's something bad's going to happen. How can I get out of this problem? Her attitude wasn't, how do I get out of it? Her attitude was for the sake of her family. It wasn't even really for her. There was something bigger in her belief. Like this opened up something so much bigger. But see, grace does that. When, when dignity comes to you, and all of a sudden you have these two men that come into your house that aren't stripping who you are for cheap tokens, but instead bring truth, bring life, and bring dignity all of a sudden, her mind went to other things. How can I save more? And her request really became more on behalf of others than it was even for herself. Because I think she got in that moment the thing she had looked for her whole life. Can I have value that isn't cheap? Can I have someone look at me differently? And I love this, how God takes this faith. He opens up this door to save this woman. He I don't know how the walls came down and one thing was spared or whatever. All I know is something had to stay together with the house or they were all dead if they were up on the wall and the walls came down. I mean, if we do math of gravity, that's, that, that's not a good, good act. That's not a good fruit, right? I mean, that's, that's something that's not... I mean, now if they were spared somehow and this little, the bricks all stayed together and they floated down, I don't know, but somehow it's still miraculous how they're still inside of a house after the walls come down. That really has set me back. And as I was reading through Matthew, and I started looking at lineage, and we start wondering what happens to a person when they just choose to believe the report of the greatness of our God, and they believe it, and then they act on it. It saved her, saved her family. It gave them a whole new lease on life because they had no lease as long as they were in Jericho whole new lease on life. And we see Matthew does his lineage of faith, and he begins with Abraham. And as we go through the lineage, we see something that happens. We see how faith took root in this lady and began birthing through generations and generations and actually did more than just give them a place. In Matthew 1 verse 5, it says this, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. She got a husband. You see, a woman that couldn't have that, someone looked at her differently. The dignity changed. The, 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 the reputation was stripped away. And she didn't just marry someone. She didn't just have a husband of someone. She had a husband that would birth our Savior through her lineage. See, without Rahab, there's no Jesus. Beliefs were set in motion. What is God birthing today in us that aren't just, isn't just, 
my proper English, that isn't just going to affect today, but it has a lineage. Now, here's what I love. Her daughter, so Salmon beget Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And there's only two people who says that he did it by. In other words, it's all the males, except a couple women that get pushed into that picture. Ruth was an outsider. Boaz, the son of Rahab, when Ruth came and laid at her, his feet, he remembered his mother. You see, something happened that grace became part and an act of faith became part of a heritage that we can now even see David out in the field when he says, even when your mothers and fathers forsake me, God will never forsake me because he remembered his grandmother and he remembered his great-grandmother. We need to remember something. And that is why the father is so eager for you to understand his love. Look at the love that took place of a God that is looked like at the great judge and the condemner, and look how he destroys all these people. He was never looking to destroy people. He was looking for someone just to believe in him, that he could perform the things that he does through people. Just so you know, God doesn't do anything without people on this earth. We, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. He could destroy everything in a breath, but he chose to put man on this planet to inhabit it. You can't think of a miracle that hasn't taken place that men were not involved with that miracle. And you can't see a miracle that's taken place that a God wasn't involved with that man. It's a combination of the two. And it takes us believing that empowers God into our life. And the greater we see about Him and the more confidence we put into His Word and His integrity of who He is, the more He gets excited and just begins flowing. When Jesus came, he says, I am the light of the world. There's no darkness in me. Man, he has come to bring light to you. He's come to bring light to what we believe. He's come to bring light to our situation, to expose it. And sometimes we go, well, I don't really want the light to come because there's a lot of issues I'm dealing with. You know what's great? He says he's full of grace and truth. You know what truth comes without grace? It's harsh. It almost exposes you, yet you are the harlot. You know, Think about if just truth came to Rahab. But when grace and truth comes, it reveals, yes, you're the harlot. But look what you're going to be. And it all of a sudden brings something that tears down the one but brings up the other that when we open, we don't have to be fearful to open to the things that we've hidden from God. Because, yeah, he's going to tell you the truth about it, but his grace is always there to begin pulling you to another place. That's why we can open. That's what I believe opened this woman's heart. I believe it sealed the deal when those two spies walked into her house. I'm close with this. I'm not taking your extra 15 minutes this time. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. This is Paul's prayer over you. He said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he uses Father. I mean, we talk about God and, and he is God, but when he becomes Father, Father is personal. It's your origin. It's, it's your identity. It's, it's where you come from. 
pray to the Father where you come from, the one who loves you and begot you, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. A grant is something free. There's no charge to a grant. A grant is, there you go, for this purpose, go. No paying back, no, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man. That Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. See, because God is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Not as easy to be entreated. It's merciful. It's generous. Love is, is slow to wrath. Love. That's, that's what he is. His nature is love. It's what he is. You can't, if you talk about love, you can talk about God. If you talk about God, you can talk about love. It, that's just what it is. That is the defining point of love. And it says that you would understand the height, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. In other words, when God wants to bring light, He loves you. When He wants to open your eyes, you're going to feel Him love you. When He wants to open your eyes, He brings people to you that brings dignity, that brings life to you. He loves you. And what it does, it starts opening you up in trust to who He is. That's how He brings light. He's love. Then He goes on, he says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, God's chief goal is to have all of him infused into you. That is a radical thought. His goal is to have all of him infused into you. Now, verse 20, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to this power that works in us. How is that revealed? By allowing Him to love us. By allowing Him to begin understanding His love for us and, and, and allowing Him to begin revealing Himself to us. That means the walls that we've had before, the things that have kind of held us back, God's saying we just drop them because my grace will overcome that and then my truth will come and it will begin launching you into a whole different life. That's his love.